Um, rebuilding. That's our new series. I started last week introducing you to some of the rebuilders, six men that um, kind of come together in this particular era of rebuilding in the Old Testament. We're going to not teach through their stories chronologically, but rather just kind of look at different things that happened to them and the roles that they played. Uh, I hope you recognized last week in in the words that that I shared how different those six characters were from each other. And yet, despite their differences and the different roles that they played as rebuilders, God was able to use them to strengthen and to encourage each other as they did the work that the Lord had prepared for them. Today, what I want to do is highlight one specific aspect of rebuilding, and it's something that I think often goes overlooked. Ironically, because rebuilding by literal definition, what the word actually means, uh, it infers that something is broken. You can't rebuild unless something is broken. And so uh, to be a rebuilder requires, by definition, we need, we need to have something in ruin or in ruins. Here's what I mean. Nobody rebuilds a brand new car. If you have a brand new car, there's a lot of things you can do to that car. You can customize the car, you can upgrade the car, you can soup up a new car, but you can't really truly rebuild it because it's already built. It's already built. You rebuild an old car, maybe a a classic car. You rebuild something that used to be beautiful, but it is broken down over time and because of circumstance. And so when you're rebuilding a car, what you do is you acquire it in its broken state, knowing that there is much work yet to be done that's necessary to make it useful, to make it beautiful, to make it functional, to make it valuable again. And that's the essence of rebuilding. In order to rebuild, we first have to encounter something in a broken state. We have to see the ruins. Many Christians by nature tend to be optimists. I find that most Christians are kind of glass half full kind of folks. That's the nature of being alive in Christ. As the apostle Peter put it, being born into a living hope. We are an optimistic people, a people founded on hope. We tend to see beauty wherever we can. And that's a good thing. But rebuilders need to be able to see brokenness as well as they see beauty. The rebuilders of Jerusalem demonstrated that ability in many, many different ways. And here's where we're going to dive in. From the stories of these six rebuilders that we've seen, we can learn that rebuilders understand the situation. They understand the situation, the circumstance. They kind of have this ability to to see it for what it is or to see things for what they are. I'm reminded here of of a commercial that I see on TV a lot for a particular air freshener. I forget the brand, but the, the tagline says something to the effect of over time we become nose blind to the odors in our home. Do you know the commercial I'm talking about? It says over time we become nose blind to bad odors. We think it smells fine, but other people smell this. And on the commercial, then they show you a, a giant smelly sneaker or a great big wet dog or whatever it is in your home that smells bad, but you don't notice it because you live there and you've become accustomed to it. But somebody else comes in, according to this air freshener commercial, 
And all of a sudden they smell what you have grown accustomed to. Nose blind. I don't know if that was really a, a word before the marketing people got a hold of it. I, don't, I never encountered it before I saw that commercial, but I like that word because I instantly know what they're talking about. It makes sense to me. Nose blind. Too often I think we become spiritually nose blind to the brokenness in our world. We're surrounded by ruins, and these ruins are screaming for our attention, but we've become so accustomed to them that we don't even notice them anymore. And rebuilders aren't like that. Rebuilders have a God-given ability to see things with fresh eyes. They can smell with a fresh nose, if we want to talk about being nose blind. They recognize that something is wrong, something is broken, something is in ruin. Everyone else may have grown accustomed to it, but the rebuilder understands the situation better. So let me remind you of where we are in our historical context in these stories. Zerubbabel and Joshua had led a team back to Jerusalem, out of captivity, back into Jerusalem to begin the construction of the temple. And the stories that were told in the Bible say that those who traveled with them came back to rebuild the temple. But when they arrived in Jerusalem, they realized that practically speaking, before they could really do good work on the temple, they needed a place to stay. And so they started rebuilding their own homes first. They got a little bit of work done on the temple, but before long they were really concentrating on working on rebuilding their own homes. And so they were able to do that over the course of time, and then eventually their homes were built, but now they lacked the motivation to do the job that they had come there to do in the first place. And so Within a few years of Zerubbabel and Joshua arriving back in Jerusalem, the rebuilders that had come back with them had all rebuilt their own homes, but the temple, the whole reason they had come back in the first place, was still laying in ruin. And they just kind of gave up on the job. They lost the sense of urgency for the temple, and that's the thing that had motivated them in the first place. And that went on for a decade. A decade after they came back to Jerusalem, their homes were done, but the temple had hardly even been touched. And everybody there was just kind of going on and on with life as usual. And that's the moment when Haggai entered the scene. Do you remember Haggai from our picture? He was the elderly prophet. And he began speaking a decade after that work had started, but never really gained traction. Listen to what Haggai said in chapter 1, verse 2 of his book. He says, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. In other words, he's saying... You know, everybody's talking about, yeah, we know that we're supposed to be rebuilding, but there, you know, there's not time for it. We will get around to it later, seems to be the thought of those folks. They've just kind of grown used to living life the way it was, surrounded by ruin, surrounded by brokenness. The time has not yet come, they would say. But then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Haggai cuts to the essence of the situation. He identifies kind of the hidden hypocrisy of the would-be rebuilders, and they have just gotten used to brokenness. Now, we have to be careful if we're going to try and play the role that Haggai 
played. We have to be very careful about that. Remember, the goal is to encourage the rebuilders. And so simply calling them out for their hypocrisy is is not often going to be the best way to do that. If we read through the book of Haggai and read through what he had to say, if we read through some of the other historical books that talk about him, we recognize that he, he didn't just call him out. He didn't just point the finger. He identified the problem because he was able to understand the situation, but then he did a great job of rebuilding, uh, I'm sorry, of encouraging the rebuilders. We have to recognize and identify brokenness when we see it. Seeing the ruins is what I'm calling it today. We have to be able to see the ruins for what they are, all while encouraging others that God can restore. Now that's the gift of a true rebuilder. Another one of the challenges is that ruins can take all sorts of forms, all sorts of shapes, all sorts of sizes. And they might not be obvious to someone who doesn't have the heart of a rebuilder. But rebuilders do see them. Rebuilders see all kinds of ruins. I I don't mean by that that rebuilders see lots of ruins. I don't mean to infer that the heart of a rebuilder is to go around saying, that's broken, that's broken, that's broken, that's broken, everything's broken. I don't mean all kinds as in lots. I mean all different varieties of, of ruins. They see all different kinds of ruins, not just what's obvious. They have a sense of the deeper truth. They can identify the core of the problem. They are able to identify spiritual brokenness in all areas of lives. Take a look at what Haggai had to say to the crew at Jerusalem. Going on from where we read before, picking up in verse 5 of chapter 1, Haggai says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Remember, he's already identified the problem. He says, the problem is you guys focused on your own house instead of God's house. But let's dig a little deeper, Haggai's going to say here. Let's dig a little deeper and listen to what God is really saying about this. Here's what God says. Give careful thought to your ways. I take that to mean Haggai's saying, think about the way life has been going for the past 10 years. Think about what's actually been going on in your life over the course of the past 10 years. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never really have enough. You drink, but you never quite have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You've been earning wages, but it's like you're putting them in a purse with holes in it. Haggai's saying, have you really given thought to the way life has gone these past 10 years? Do you recognize that there's more brokenness than just the temple we're all looking at? Do you see, have you taken note of the fact that something just isn't adding up? in the way life has been going for you guys over the course of the 10 years. I put those verses on the screen, but let me actually read beyond that. This is what the Lord Almighty Haggai, uh, this, Haggai says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down the timber and build my house. That was the point in the first place, right? Build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected so much. But see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. In other words, God's saying that I have stood in the way of your comfort and your prosperity because of what you have chosen to leave in ruin. 
Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on the people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Do you see what's going on here? For 10 years, the Israelites have been back in Jerusalem. They didn't do the job that they really set out to do in the first place. They've just kind of felt like, you know what, we need to kind of get back to life as normal. But that's not what a rebuilder does. A rebuilder doesn't say, let's just get back to normal. A rebuilder sees the ruins. A rebuilder sees that there's work that needs to be done, but because they overlooked the work that needed to be done, there were frustrations in other areas of their lives. In this circumstance, God's saying, you know what? I did that to you. I've been trying to get your attention for 10 years while you went on with life as usual. I've been trying to remind you that there was a mission here to rebuild and you just chose to overlook the ruins. Rebuilders need to see those ruins. They need to see all kinds of ruins. And it took a rebuilder like Haggai to actually see the ruins and to help these Israelites put the pieces of their lives back together. One of the reasons that people typically don't see ruins very well, well, it's because we don't want to. Brokenness is something we try to avoid. We don't like brokenness. It's uncomfortable. So understandably, right, our usual reaction is to just look away or maybe to walk away. We don't like to look at brokenness. We don't like to be confronted with the ruins. But that's not how rebuilders work. Rebuilders are willing to walk among ruins. Whole generation after Haggai, the temple was complete, but the walls around Jerusalem were still laying in ruin. And that's why Nehemiah came to Jerusalem. He came to rebuild the walls. In chapter two of the book of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah tells his story, he describes the first few steps he took in his mission. He arrived back in Jerusalem, but he didn't tell anybody why he was there. He spent several days, in chapter two, he says, I spent the first three days I was there just just looking around, just kind of observing life in the way it was. I didn't tell anybody why I was there. I didn't tell anybody why I had come. I just showed up and I looked around. I wanted to watch. I wanted to see, and I wanted to learn. And then after having done that for a few days, he waits until nighttime. And under the cover of darkness, he goes to take a closer examination. Read what he writes in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 13. He says, by night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there wasn't enough room for my mount to get through there. So I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. And then finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. If we had a map of the ancient city of Jerusalem, we could 
GPS Nehemiah's steps and, and just track the, the path that he took, examining the ruins, looking at the, the wooden gates that had been burned and, and the, the ruins of the stone walls which were lying in crumbling. And, and this picture of him doing this at night, can you picture that in your minds? To me, it's one of the most profound images from this story. I can just see Nehemiah silhouetted against the night sky, walking among the ruins of the Jerusalem walls. Rebuilders are willing to do that. The ruins, you know, you don't want to go there. You don't want to walk out there. It's dangerous there, right? That's the whole reason we have the walls is to protect us from what's outside. So nobody would want to go out there. Nobody would want to go at night and walk along the rubble and, and, and trip and fall and get hurt. Nobody would want to squeeze through the passageways that were too small for even the horse to get through just to see what was there. But the heart of the rebuilder said, I want to go walk among the ruins. I need to be there to see what really is happening. Alcoholics Anonymous is famous for their plan to rebuild a broken life. And they do it in, in 12 steps. Step four of the 12-step program is make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. A searching and fearless moral inventory. In other words, walk among the ruins of my own life. If you're going to rebuild, you're going to have to walk among the ruins. In this season, I believe the church in America needs a generation of rebuilders who are willing to walk among the ruins. I believe HRCC needs a generation of rebuilders who are willing to walk through the broken places and to see them for what they are. The heart of a rebuilder says, this is, this is broken. This is broken. But with God's help, we can rebuild it. And let's not be afraid of that. Let's not be afraid to recognize when things are broken. Let's be willing to walk among the ruins and to see them for what they are, believing that God still has a special and specific anointing for those who would rebuild. Rebuilders don't need to be frightened of ruins. As a matter of fact, ruins inspire rebuilders. They inspire rebuilders. When Nehemiah finished his, his covert reconnaissance mission of going out at night and walking among the ruins. When he was done with that, only then did he finally gather the leaders of Jerusalem. And then he addressed them. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 17 records what he said to them. He said, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. So come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and, and we'll no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and, and what the king had said to me. And then they replied, let's start rebuilding. Let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. That's the beginning of a tremendous story. You can read through the rest of Nehemiah and hear the exciting story that he tells, the adventure that they have as together they rebuild what had gone a generation without being addressed. But it took a man who was willing to walk among the ruins and then take that as inspiration to go back to the leaders and say, hey, I've been there. I've seen it. It's bad. This is a bad thing. But here's the thing Nehemiah said. 
we can rebuild. And when he was able to be inspired himself and to inspire others, their response was, yeah, yeah, we see it now. We see it now. Let's do this thing. Let's rebuild. And they began this good work. The world is filled with people who are more than willing to point their fingers at other people's failures. There is no shortage of accusers out there who are ready to highlight somebody else's problems, somebody else's ruins, and to tell them why they're doing things the wrong way. But what the church needs now is a new generation of Nehemiahs. Those who can walk among the ruins, but are willing to actually take on the responsibility of rebuilding. Those who are inspired by the very thought of what God might desire to accomplish through us. If only we're willing to begin this good work. I imagine that the townspeople of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day, I imagine that they had become quite accustomed to the ruin of the city walls. They had seen it every day, for many of them, for their entire lives. They didn't need Nehemiah to inform them that the walls were ruined. (laughs) They knew that. But they did need Nehemiah to remind them of why those ruins were such a threat to their well-being. Nehemiah had to say to them, guys, this is not good. This is a bad thing. This thing that you've gotten so used to, I went out and I walked these ruins. And guess what? This is a bad thing. They needed Nehemiah to remind them of that. And they needed Nehemiah to inspire them to begin a good work. Rebuilding is a good work. Rebuilding is a God work. God is a builder. But even more than that, I think it's fair to say God is a rebuilder. Think about all the the duties and responsibilities that we assign to God in our belief system. God is our redeemer, right? He's our restorer. He's our healer. What is healing if not a rebuilding work that God does in our lives? The Bible says you were created, you were created in perfection, but when we need healing, we need to be rebuilt. We say Jesus is our savior. What is, what is that if not a work of rebuilding? God is by very nature a rebuilder. And his people ought to be inspired by that. Brokenness isn't something to be afraid of. It's an opportunity to see his power on display. More than 500 years after these stories. Could we just switch to the next slide where we've got, I love these guys. I'm just going like, to stare at this for a while. Who we talked about today? Here's Hannah. Here's Nehemiah. We didn't even get into Zerubbabel, Joshua, Zechariah, Ezra here. We'll talk more about them in the weeks that come. More than 500 years after these six guys led various efforts to rebuild in the city of Jerusalem, one day Jesus and his disciples were walking through that very city. They were just right outside of the temple that that Zerubbabel and Joshua had rebuilt. In the distance, they could probably see portions of the walls that, that Nehemiah and his crew had worked on. Now, by the time Jesus was around, those walls had, had expanded and become even bigger than what Nehemiah himself had rebuilt. But here they were walking in the city that had grown up and prospered because of that rebuilding effort. And as they walked, 
they encountered a blind man begging. You can read his story in John chapter 9. As the story goes on, it's made apparent that this beggar was a familiar sight in Jerusalem. Everybody seemed to know him. Just like the ruined temple and the ruined walls from 500 years earlier, the brokenness of this particular man's life had just kind of become the ordinary backdrop to everyday life for just about everybody in the city. But Jesus noticed. He understood the situation. And so when his 12 disciples, who who also noticed, when they stopped to start asking Jesus questions about the blind beggar, Jesus was more than willing to pause and to take note. And so while everyone else was going on with their day, can you just picture that moment? On the busy streets of Jerusalem, just outside the temple, as people are coming and going, coming and going, one particular beggar, blind from birth, sits on the side of the road, everybody going by with their every ordinary day, but 13 men stop and take notice. And they start to talk about him. They stopped to walk among the ruins. They weren't afraid of his brokenness. They were willing to see it and to press in further. Now, 12 out of 13 of them didn't really understand it. They thought the brokenness was some sort of punishment. They, they thought that maybe the man or, or perhaps his parents were to blame for his own condition. Maybe they were sinners and they were being punished. Maybe he was being punished. Maybe his parents were being punished by, by giving birth to a blind kid. They were trying to figure all this out, but they didn't really understand it. But you know what? At least they were willing to see it. Most of the people that day didn't even bother to see it. At least they were willing to see it. But one among those 13, Jesus, he saw something different. He didn't see a curse. He saw an opportunity. An opportunity for God to get the glory for a rebuilt life. And so, in the shadows of a rebuilt temple, behind the protective shelter of some rebuilt walls, in a city that had been rebuilt more than half a millennium prior. That day, a life was rebuilt. And it's all because a new generation of rebuilders was willing to see the ruins. Church, life is challenging right now for for many, if, if not most of us. And acknowledging that things are rough, Acknowledging that some things are just plain old broken. Doing that doesn't make us weak. And it doesn't make us complainers. It just makes us willing and available for God to accomplish his work in us and through us. And that's where I want us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the assignment that you have given to the rebuilders. We praise you this morning because your word is good and your promises are secure. Father, we think back over our lives and the way they reflect your purposes and your intentions. The way they reflect your character. You are a rebuilding God. 
And so, Lord, our desire first and foremost today is to submit ourselves once again to your purposeful hand. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to submit ourselves, our very lives, to the rebuilding work that you desire to accomplish in us. I pray, Lord, today that you would rebuild rebuilders. And Lord, as you rebuild in our lives, would you help us to see what the world has grown nose blind to? Would you give us spirit-anointed eyes to see what you see? To see brokenness when we need to see brokenness. And God, to not be afraid of it. Who would we be to presume that life is perfect as is? What a ridiculous thing to say. And so God, help us to not act as if that were the case. But rather, Lord, to see things differently, to hear your voice differently, to understand the work and the assignment that is in front of us. Forgive us, God, for the ways in which we have paralleled the lives of those who have in Haggai's day, just went about their own business and forgot the mission to which they had been called. Renew and restore in us a passion to see rebuilt lives. Help us, God, to hear that call anew and afresh. And Lord, with that image in our mind of Nehemiah silhouetted in the night sky, walking through the dangerous ruins, being willing to roll his sleeves up and get down into the mess that everybody else was trying to avoid. God, raise up a generation of Nehemiahs. Lord, find us willing and faithful to walk in those dangerous, broken places so that we might be inspired to a new work. We declare in faith today that you are able and willing to accomplish it. And so we submit ourselves to what you have for us. Help us, God, to see the ruins, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.